Welcome back to Insights Unlocked. In this episode, User Testing's Leah Hogan talks with Liat Tesler, Senior User Experience Researcher at Capital One's Innovation Lab. Liat provides an inside look into the lab's purpose-built space where groundbreaking digital products are born. From initial research to Wizard of Oz testing, they explore the intricacies of UX research and digital product design. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Insights Unlocked, an original podcast from user testing, where we bring you candid conversations and stories with the thinkers, doers, and builders behind some of the most successful digital products and experiences in the world, from concept to execution. Welcome to the Insights Unlocked podcast. I'm Nathan Isaacs, Senior Manager for Content Production at User Testing. And joining me today as guest host is User Testing's Leah Hogan, Principal for Experience Research Strategy. Welcome, Leah. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Leah Tesler, Senior User Experience Researcher at Capital One. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you. Really glad to be here. Welcome. I'm so thrilled to be talking with you today. Um, first, I'd love to start with a little bit about you and the work that you're doing at Capital One's Innovation Lab. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I've been um, in user experience for about a decade and at Capital One for almost five of those as a user experience researcher. And Capital One's Innovation Lab designs net new products for our customers and internal associates typically ones that involve emerging technologies. And the lab is really purpose-built to help define the future of our business by building those transformational products. And also we inspire new ways to work at the company. So as, as a researcher specifically at the lab, I'm really focused on, should we even build something in this area? What should we build? It's kind of the same process you'll do when adding a new feature to an existing product. But since we're building a, a totally net new product, it's at a higher level scale, often with bigger stakes and risks. Um, and some of what we explore at the Innovation Lab will ultimately be put on ice because of early signals. They aren't presently a good fit. Yeah, and that's very common because obviously we know that all ideas are awesome until you actually get feedback and then you figure out which ones are the good ones and the ones that may not have legs now. Um, I think it's incredible to have the luxury of having an innovation lab because many companies choose not to invest in that kind of connection with customers. So um, I would love to hear more about how you start, right? Because when you've got blue sky, sometimes it can be hard to figure out what to where to focus. Yeah, definitely having all that free reign can be um, overwhelming. Uh, so when we're exploring a new field, we often like start with a, you know, a, a totally open subject area. So just to give some examples, it might be parent-child parent -child money sharing, or it might be accounts receivable. And my first step is always kind of seeing what's out there, reviewing existing literature to get up to speed. And then we'll often move into um, qualitative research, typically interviews or in-context observations. Um, and then we, we proceed to some type of quantitative method, often like a, a survey or data analysis to measure the current situation. How common is this problem that people are experiencing? And I often find that as we dive deeper and come up with a potential solution, that on the research front, alternating 
qualitative and then quantitative is really useful. And um, so, so, so that is when we're starting with a problem area. Uh, sometimes we do start with an emerging technology. And as the researcher, that's when I try to pivot the conversation to a pain point that um, that emerging technology could solve for to really launch off of and, and start researching. Yeah. And that's, I think you brought up so many great points just now. I think the scale and scope of quant and the why of qual are just a really powerful way to help people figure out where to invest, obviously, in these early stage ideas. Um, and then I think just the not saying technology is, you know, the hammer, right? It's really thinking, what should we be doing versus saying, how can we use this technology? Because I think how can we use that technology first is a great way to get off course. I'm definitely a technology enthusiast working at an innovation lab, but I think it should be used in the appropriate way to, to solve a problem. <laughs> Otherwise, it might create problems ultimately. Yeah, totally agree with you on that. So you've done all this research. You've got all these insights. What do you do next usually? What's the next step? I would say that's really often the trickiest part is distilling that large upfront research into what my team members, product managers, and developers want to know, um, which is what's the most important problem that needs solving and what should we do next tactically to address the problem. And as the researcher, I've experimented with different ways to do that. Um, lately, what's kind of been working is mapping out a persona or user workflow and superimposing on it, um, like what could solve that persona's pain point? So not just saying a persona's pain points, but also I want a tool that will help me or it's important that XYZ for this individual. Um, my background is also in UX design. So I also use low fidelity wireframing as a way to um, give examples for what might solve for their pain points. After we've come up with a few ideas for solutions, we typically move to concept testing. So I can talk a little more about that. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So concept testing uh, can sometimes get a, a bad rep uh, because people will, you know, show a, a potential solution and they're questioning, you know, how likely would you be to use this? That's really my least favorite question. Um, what I'm trying to do in a concept testing is start by asking about that existing behavior and then I might uh, show them multiple concepts, um, add some stakes, ranking priority, and just gauge their reaction to the product, not just what they say, but also how they seem to feel about it, how excited um, they are about it. And it's also, you can do concept testing unmoderated. So um, that helps to overcome a little bit of that confirmation bias where people are saying, oh, I love that concept because you're right there in front of them. So unmoderated testing definitely helps. Yeah. And I also find another strategy that helps get around that. How likely would you be to use this is the describe this or describe how Den. you think it works because you often uncover some alternative approaches or ideas that you may not have even thought of actually as you were coming up with the concept. Oh, definitely. I love that. We ask sometimes, like, can you describe this in your own words? Yeah. Or when would you use this? Um, who do you think would be the ideal person to use this? And if they don't say someone that's like themselves, 
then um, that's definitely indicative. Yeah, very good idea. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting that you brought up is, um, I don't know if you meant to, but you self-described a bit as a unicorn. And as and I say unicorn, a design researcher, somebody who can do, you know, create those concepts. Researchers don't always have that skill. Would you have any advice or recommendations for people who might be in this space for time savers or strategies that might help them to develop that that skill set? Saying yeah, um, I've definitely been in a lot of um, parts of the product development. Before I was a UX designer, as a product manager, so I just don't like to be pinpointed, I guess. Um, but if you are looking to develop some of those UX design skills, I, I think especially at at the stage of trying to explain a potential concept, it doesn't need to be high fidelity. Um, it can be sketches on a whiteboard. Um, so I think um, definitely using those tools, but also um, not being a perfectionist about the way you're explaining it to other people. As long as you're getting your idea across, you're succeeding. Yeah, I think those are great points. All right. So kind of talked about the going going from an idea to a concept. Now you've gotten to a concept and tested it. What's that next step? So the next step, um, we will try to see then how we can bring it to life. Um, so that, you know, that can be in an interactive prototype um, or it can be in code. Um, or it can be in what Wizard of Oz tests. And that's, I think, one of the most fun creative opportunities as a researcher is thinking about how you could test an idea um, in something that's, you know, not even code-based. Um, it's really creating the smallest possible um, testable pilot. Yeah. So actually, let's talk a little bit more about the Wizard of Oz testing, because that's something that I know I've talked to product folks about and innovation teams, but not everybody's done it. So um, you kind of started to describe it around like it's taking a very small piece or could be low fidelity or a small piece that's high fidelity. But how do you bring that to life in the context of a test? Yeah, so Wizard of Oz, like the name is um, pretending something is real, like there, but there's actually someone behind the curtain pulling, pulling a string. So I think classic example, if you want to send notifications when something occurs, um, instead of building the mechanism to send out the notification, you instead, you know, manually message people um, and pretend that it's coming automatically. And that's a way to test out that notification flow without having to actually build it. Um, but you can do that in, in other ways by, um, you know, sending emails, by prompting, not just prompting. There's like the really the sky's the limit there of how you can test it out. And the main thing is, as long as you're clearly saying, this is what I want to test, then you can brainstorm different ways um, to do it and use like a mini design process in the research phase. Yeah, I think those are all great points because you can get in there and just like essentially iterate, you know, and co-create right in that moment, even just by talking through how it works and just that helps you to clarify some of the requirements and expectations that people have. And so 
Um, part of the reason why I really wanted to dig in on this particular point is many people feel like you have to have a pixel perfect prototype to test. And Wizard of Oz testing really lets you take something that's a lot earlier, right? Not as finely detailed and get it in front of people. So I think it enables you to move left, you know, when you're getting feedback. So a couple thoughts here. Like, I would really love to know, is there anything that you want to share that you haven't yet shared about what's this early stage type of research and design and exploration looks like for Capital One, or at least your team at Capital One? Um, I think I, I mentioned in the beginning, like that many of our projects can be put on ice or something we call it retired. Um, that's really built into the process of experimentation. So, um, it's not a failure, but it can still be really disappointing. And, and that may happen to other people, some project that you're working on. Um, it's not that the timing's not right. So the way that, that I handle it um, is I, I document our takeaways because those are things that can be evergreen, even if the product isn't. The things that we've learned can live on. Um, and I've had, then I share it with the broader Capital One community. You know, sometimes the timing really isn't right idea will be reprised later, but the learnings will always live on. Yeah, I love that. That learning is is evergreen, even if it isn't something <laughs> you end up doing. It sounds like the bottom line to me is there are a number of potential outcomes that might happen when something is a go. Yeah, I will say, I will add, um, if something does come to fruition, it likely won't stay in the innovation lab long term. So that's another piece of it. Sometimes your your babies graduate and move on, um, and you, as a researcher, need to collaborate with the other team that's taking on that work and make sure those learnings are not lost. So when a project succeeds uh, or is moves on, even when a project does not, there's still that learning sharing piece. Yeah, and communication is so critical. Just in everything that a researcher does. I think that that's a a great way to kind of end the conversation there. (laughs) So thank you so much for being on the show. I've obviously really enjoyed our conversation, or at least hopefully it's been obvious that I've enjoyed the conversation. I realized partway through that every other word I said was, I love. (laughs) So um, how does someone learn more about you and the work that you're doing at Capital One? Um, yeah, well, thanks. I've really enjoyed it, too. Um, so to learn more, you can visit my website at uh, liat.com. I was very happy to to get my first name as a URL, um, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And you can also learn more about um, the Capital One Innovation Lab at thecapitalonelab.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. I took a quick look at it myself, and it's really a great and really inspiring site. So. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find the show notes at usertesting.com slash podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, this is Insights Unlocked.
an original podcast from User Testing.